Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa. And as you guys look out your window today, you will notice all kinds of rain. It being April, as they say, April showers bring May flowers. But of course, May flowers lead to June bumblebees and eventually to September, which is spider season. It just goes to show that nature is kind of a jerk sometimes. Uh, to talk more about this, let's bring in our own Marlon Perkins, one Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Uh, I thought you were going another way with this, Lynn. I'm sitting here, <laughs> I'm sitting here in my pilgrim outfit. I mean, April showers bring me flowers. I got a hat with a buckle. Hang on, hang on. I got to get my beekeeper. No, no, it's my- fall, Jim. It's fall. We're still in spring. Okay, still in spring. Damn. okay. let me get my beekeeper outfit on. Hang on, hang on. Okay. Uh, yes, animals. This is what we love about the change of season. Yes, animals. And I ate a lot of them over the weekend. I would like to uh, talk about that. But first, James, mm-hmm. I think every meeting should begin with a round of self-congratulations. So let's start our call today with some self-congratulations. Disney recently announced that soon you'll be able to unlock your hotel room doors with your cell phone. We talked about this many months ago, didn't we? Yeah, we did. We did. Also, did you see the thing about they're going to start doing the autonomous driving car tests on Disney property shortly? starting with cast members no when did that come out that was just last week i feel bad for the disney cast members because they're the folks who are going to do the initial test with these things and then provided the test goes well this then becomes available to guests staying at the resort and is supposedly supplements the minivans at least for a time so yeah we called two of them len that's good yay for us i knew that the la times had reported last year Mm -hmm. that they were considering doing it but now you're saying that they've followed up on that with a specific timeline yeah i'm blanking the specifics of the article but i guess two of the companies that create these vehicles you know (laughs) one of them spilled at some sort of event that they had landed the disney contract and then had to try to walk it back (laughs) good luck with that yeah i think that's a fantastic idea if there are any uh, guest members that are listening that get to uh, prototypus please let us know Mm -hmm. what it's like we will promise not to use your name or anything like that all right, so James, I decided not to go shopping for groceries over the weekend, and instead, I went to Walt Disney World to eat. Would you like to hear about how that went? Well, okay. <laughs> it's a loaded question, right? Sure. I live vicariously through you because Nancy's got me pretending to be a pseudo-vegetarian, so meat, meat, talk about meat. So I decided to go to Jico at Jico. Animal Kingdom Lodge, mm-hmm. and the reason for that was Jico had been the number one rated restaurant according to our reader surveys, for two straight years, 2016 and 2017. It dropped a little bit this year, still in the top five. So I wanted to see what changes were made to either the food preparation or the menu that would have resulted in it dropping. So I went with Laurel on Saturday night, a nice late reservation for it. The other thing that we did, and I really think this is a great dining tip for people, we've mentioned it before, but I want to emphasize it, and that is this. You don't have to order entrees. We ordered nothing but appetizers and desserts, and we were super happy with it. Also, the cost of this entire meal that I'm about to explain to you was about the same as two people eating at the Garden Grill in Epcot. So about $120 with gratuity and wine. That's how you can save some money on Disney dining. We started off with appetizers, and we had the bread service first. And I recommend the bread service that for anyone that dines at Jico, it's called Taste of Africa. It comes with four different dips, a yogurt-based one, a spicy one, a sweet one, and something else that I can't remember. But they give you the equivalent of naan. They give you papadum as well. 
and a couple of other types of bread. All of them are delicious. They're basically mini flatbreads about the size of a small pizza each. It can easily serve four people. We ate them, just the two of us. And they also give you other bread to start your dinner with. So right at the top, you've got all of your carbs satisfied for the entire meal. My first appetizer, I had Monty dumplings. Have you seen these? No, can't say as I have. So it's a small dumpling, a little bit larger than a ravioli, but sort of folded up into a, a standing pyramid shape. And it includes lamb in it. So, so the Monty is lamb. It's in a spicy tomato sauce. It comes with a like a cooling side of yogurt, also some mint chutney on the side. I thought these were delicious. There were about nine of them on my plate. Mm -hmm. Each one of them about the size of a, a small candy bar, I guess. That's the easiest way to say it. Mm -hmm. But they were delicious. They were really, really good. Tasty in the middle. And when they say spicy, it was legitimately spicy. I really liked it. Laurel had a salad. I don't know why you would go to a meat-inspired place and have a salad, but the explanation is Laurel is vegan, so she went with the salad. She said the salad was good. It had some interesting flavors in it. So it had lettuces grown at the Land Pavilion in Epcot. It had stone fruit, which I believe were peaches. Had some pistachio halva in it. Do you know what halva is, Jim? Oh, yeah, yeah. Ground pistachio squeezed into a candy bar-like shape. Mm -hmm. Delicious. Mm -hmm. Also, there was cheese in it and then an, uh, an apricot ginger dressing. So she liked all of the individual ingredients. What she said was she couldn't figure out how or why anyone thought all of those different flavors went together. So pistachio, peach, apricot, ginger, and cheese, she said, did not really work for her. Hmm. The second entree that I had was the grilled wild boar tenderloin which is their signature appetizer. It's smoked, I understand, on-site. It's got uh, truffle oil on the side. Also comes with micro cilantro. But Jim, this is where I started to get confused on the menu. Here's what it was. It came with this thing called Mealy Pop, M-E-A-L-I-E mm -hmm. space P-A-P, and Chakalaka. And this is where I want to go with this. When did menus become incomprehensible, Jim? <laughs> Here's what I mean. I went through this this menu. And granted, it's an African-inspired menu. I don't expect to understand every word. Mm -hmm. But there are sections of this menu where I literally don't understand what the words are even supposed to represent. And I think the people who write the menus derive a little bit of joy out of making things difficult to interpret. Let me give you an example. You know what arugula is, right? It's a salad ingredient. It's a lettuce. Mm-hmm. There are three different ways in which arugula is referenced in this one menu. It's called arugula. It's called rocket, R-O-C-K-E-T, which is, granted, it's a wild arugula. Just say wild arugula. Fine. And then rocket is spelled R-O-Q-U-E-T-T-E -T -T -E for some reason somewhere else in the menu. Arugula, three different ways, Jim. Don't understand it. Yikes. Okay, so Mealypop, you know, I'm whipping out my phone at this point. I'm trying to thesaurus my way through this menu. So Mealypop is maize porridge. Mm -hmm. In America, we call that grits. Mm -hmm. Fine. But the thing that I couldn't get was why there were names of things on the menu without an explanation of what they were. If the menu is that different, why would you put a word in there that you know 98% of the people reading the menu simply won't understand. So shakalaka, for example, it's a vegetable relish. Mm -hmm. Why not say shakalaka, parentheses, a vegetable relish, whatever, whatever, whatever. There was a thing in there called parsnip silk. Okay, parsnip is not a worm. Parsnip does not make silk. What is parsnip silk? 
it turns out it's, if I understand this correctly, parsnip soup boiled down, strained, and then processed some other way. Medjool date s'more, S-M-O-O-R. What's a s'more, Jim? That's not a word. We're just making things up at this point, Oof. right? I couldn't get through the menu without trying to figure out what these things were. And it's, it's hard. It's hard to do that, James. By the way, all the food was delicious. <laughs> Let me just say, all the food was fantastic. The service was excellent. I'm looking at this going, I got to like the fourth word. Mm. Oh, at jar, A-T-J-A-R. I get to this and I'm like, ah, they're just screwing with us at this point. By the way, at jar is a vegetable that's pickled in a sweet and sour way. Much of this do you think is given the proximity to Boma and that's a buffet and Jico has always been sort of the higher end, you know, how much yeah. of this is just, we know that this is more appealing to the foodies crowd. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I get it. And number one, they get all kinds of credit for sticking with a theme that isn't common throughout the United States. There aren't that many African inspired restaurants outside of major cities in the U.S., so Disney gets all kind of credit for doing it. And the menu is a good introduction to the flavors of Africa for people who might not have tried it before. The thing I'm concerned with on the menu is that there's a word without an explanation. It's not like Disney needs the needs to save space on the paper. They could provide the explanation to say what it is. Because if somebody said to me, sweet and sour pickles or vegetables, you know, pickled in a sweet and sour way, I would take that. If they said at jar... To me, it sounds like one of the spare characters from Star Wars, and I don't know that I necessarily want to eat that. <laughs> okay. So after my dinner at Jico, I ended up going to Enzo's Hideaway at Disney Springs. Oh. Along with mm-hmm. literally every other person in Orlando who, was ha- who happened to be in Disney Springs mm-hmm. at the same time. So this is the bar that's located literally below the Edison mm-hmm on the west side of Disney Springs. Have you been there before? Not yet. I'm hoping our next trip down to Orlando, which uh, should be tail end of this month. So talk about Enzo's Hideaway. Is it worth seeking out the hideaway? (laughs) To say it's a hideaway is an understatement. You've got to go down some stairs Mm -hmm. and through a door that when it's closed, Mm -hmm. I think looks more like a mausoleum entrance. There's definitely a mob vibe. Mm -hmm to this whole thing. So you go through that and you end up in a dark room, basically all concrete and black walls. And there's a front desk there. They take your name. And if they let you in, you go through another set of doors through an arched bricked wine cellar into the main dining room. The place, the entire place looks exactly like someone dug it out underneath a city street. There's bricks everywhere, exposed concrete, it literally looks like a hideaway. It's very. It looks like it's a secret place. So we, we had lunch there. The menu itself, I think, is a subset of Marie and Enzo's. So they've got the pastas, the meats, the cheeses, the Italian wines, the Italian sodas that Marie and Enzo's have, I think at a slightly lower price point. Same desserts too. The food was good. But Jim, the, the highlight of the entire meal was me trying to find the restrooms. <laughs> if the hideaway itself is hidden away. The restrooms are the riddle wrapped in a, in a mystery surrounded by an enigma or whatever the saying is. If you ask to, to where the restrooms were, they direct you to go towards the exit. They tell you to make a left. When you make a left, you're in a dead end by a bookshelf. But if you push on one of the inset areas around the wall of the bookshelf, the door opens. And you're basically in <laughs> in an industrial corridor 
between, I think, the kitchen of the hideaway and the Edison. You walk to the opposite end of that to another door and you open it up and you're at the bottom of the Edison and that's where the bathrooms are. Woof. In that hallway, there were two families, mm-hmm. both of which were trying to find the, ba- the bathrooms. We eventually figured it out. The man was so happy when we figured it out, he shook my hand. Jeez. Super fun. <laughs> Go to Enzo's for the food. Stay for the bathrooms. That's what I'm saying. Given that this is the complex that's built in the site of BET and Neon Cactus and, and Adventurers yeah. Club, so is Enzo's where BET used to be located or there's enough of us old Pleasure Island fans that still mourning this stuff and in fact I'm told that a lot of the bare structural steel survived from both of the buildings is that correct? Oh yeah clear I mean yeah it looks like they carved this out of what was left Uh, so I think the hideaway mm -hmm. is underneath the Adventures Club so you by going down the stairs you're walking into what was the ground floor level Mm -hmm. of the Adventures Club like I said, the with the the twists and turns in the back rooms in the hideaway, it it, it is an adventure all to itself. Mm-hmm. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. Also, the other interesting thing, there are the staffing the restaurant with Italians, actually from Italy. I didn't expect that in a Disney Springs uh, restaurant, but it was uh, it was really good. It was a lot of fun, and the food was delicious. Again, they their cannoli are very good. You would expect that the cannoli shells would get soft in the humid Florida air. These were not. I don't know what sort of magic they're doing to keep those things crisp, but totally working as far as I'm concerned. It was really good. Very cool. Very cool. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll talk about the Star Wars segue. How's that, Jim? That works. So, James, I know that you're a big cryptocurrency miner. You're big into Bitcoin. That's why you stay in the woods in New Hampshire. In order to mine that Bitcoin, you need very specialized graphics processing cards One's made by NVIDIA. It turns out that NVIDIA, the company, also is cooperating with Disney on doing the Millennium Falcon ride at Galaxy's Edge. And we know this, James, how? Well, because NVIDIA was actually out sort of touting the fact that eight of their computers have to be linked to power the cockpit experience for the Millennium Falcon. Given the way this ride experience has been explained to me, it makes perfect sense. I mean, it just when all of us are seated in the cockpit of the Falcon, what happens over the course of that attraction is really, really dependent. I mean, this isn't Mission Space Revisited. This is not going to be one of those things. Where hit the buttons, don't hit the buttons. It'll still land. It's a simulator. Yeah. This buries the needle in the exact opposite direction, where it's like if the person who's manning the cannons doesn't hit the target and we have to drop our shipment that we're trying to smuggle in, we could have an unfortunate encounter when we get back to the cantina. The smuggler who was supposed to pick up that load for us could come looking for us. I have to admit, I'm just finding it intriguing the way this is all being breadcrumbed out to us now. (laughs) I think Disney probably is is perfectly happy with NVIDIA getting out there talking about the point of how sophisticated this stuff is going to be. But I'm one of these people who actually feels the pressure when I'm on mission space. Like, all right, 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 right. (laughs) You're taking it seriously. Yeah, the light came on. I got to hit my button. I don't want to make the ship fall over the edge and when we land on Mars, because that seems like a very bad way to continue one's Orlando vacation. Here's what uh, impressed me about this announcement from NVIDIA. Number one, the graphics that they showed 
were not even the high-res version of it. I think Disney must have told them, don't show mm-hmm. the high-res version of the graphics that you're capable of producing. They gave us a low-res image, and it was a static image. It wasn't video. When they say that they're using eight different graphics cards for this, these are not the graphics cards that you have in your computer. These are the NVIDIA Quadro P6000 graphics cards. Each one of them, James, mm-hmm. is around $4,000. Hey. Disney has eight of those all linked together, rendering one part of the ride. I'm familiar with the P6000. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but we're part of NVIDIA's inception program for the diabetes software that I write because we use NVIDIA hardware to do our diabetes analysis. So I'm familiar with very familiar with their technology, use it uh, in our programming all the time. Mm-hmm. These are exceptionally powerful industrial strength graphics cards. To hear that there are eight of them linked together is super impressive from my perspective. The graphics that they can do with these things linked together should be astounding. And the good part about it is, is NVIDIA has already announced the next generation of processors beyond that. So I think the graphics that we're going to see on the Millennium Falcon should be fairly incredible. Well, they teased a little bit of this at the Galactic Knights events. They, I think they showed some concept art from one of the missions that, again, same thing, just sort of not the finished work, but just enough to give you the sense of you're going to be entering some very complicated spaces that you are traveling through. And yeah. this sort of effects work in real time is going to be stunning. I have to admit, I'm genuinely looking forward to when they start doing soft opening next year about what we'll get to see and when. Yeah, I think that'll be good too. All right, James, let's do one listener question because it's a preview of an upcoming show. And we'll call it a day. How's that sound? Okay. This uh, listener question is from Daniel, who said, uh, back around the time of Disney's California Adventure opening, there was an ongoing rumor that $300 million was cut from the initial proposal, about one-third of the entire budget, if I recall correctly. What was taken out of the Imagineers' plans? Was it theming? Was it specific rides? A hotel? An entire land? I seem to recall at a very early Disneyland resort concept that showed a much different downtown Disney and what appeared to be a large island in Paradise Bay. Were those casualties of this drastic budget cut? Mm. So, Jim, what uh, what do you think? Well, it's kind of ironic. We were just talking about the Adventurers Club because in, <laughs> in the earliest iteration of what the downtown Disney area was supposed to have, they were supposed to have an Adventurers Club. But as for the park itself, jeez, mm-hmm. virtually every area of the park took a hit. I mean, Paradise Pier lost its Shoot the Shoots ride that was actually supposed to take you through California Screaming. In fact, it was a ride on top of a ride. So a Shoot the Shoots ride is what? It's a classic attraction from the early days of amusement parks. The earliest possible iteration of the Flume ride. I mean, you're just sort of in a rowboat that gets towed to the top of this artificial hill with water running down it. And then it's called Shoot the Shoots because you basically like are shooting the rapids. You are rolling down this gout of water into the bay and then you sort of bounce along like a stone on the water until you stop moving and they take it back to the offload area. But again, that was the thing. You were supposed to shoot the shoots out into Paradise Bay. And geez, don't even get me started on the Hollywood backlot area. I mean... Let me ask you this question. Yep. The ride that I always found inexplicable in Paradise Pier was Superstar Limo, which was the cheesiest ride I think that Disney ever built and literally one of the first things that they demolished as soon as as soon as version 2.0 of DCA was approved. That could not possibly be the ride that they intended to build, right? No. 
you remember how that looked as you walked up to it? It was just sort of dimensional flats mm-hmm. that actually got carried over to the Monsters Inc. Mike and Sully to the rescue with all the doors. Which I, I can't believe is still there, but okay. Well, you know, just we keep telling folks to make sure to visit it when you're at the park because kind of like Muppets 3D, it's going away. Anyway, the original version, which was actually supposed to be tucked in the back corner where Hollywood and Dine wound up. So the original version of Superstar Limit. Yeah, that okay. you walked up to what was supposed to be the LA, if you've ever been to LAX and seen the theme building, I mean, it's it's sort of how they always in, in movies establish that you're at LAX. It's you know, that weird pseudo-futuristic structure in the middle. Yep, it sort of looks like an alien crawling. It's the iconic building from LAX. Yeah, and in fact, in the mid... 90s eddie sato when he was working for imagineering they actually put this wonderful futuristic restaurant in there called encounters where you literally went up and it was like if if flash gordon and james bond had had a baby you'd go to the bar and get if you were getting a soft drink they'd serve it to you out of a ray gun (laughs) really that's kind of fantastic it was really cool (sighs) but anyway the idea was that the original version of superstar limo was you entered the building, the LA theme building, and you found yourself at LAX. And the notion was that your driver found you, was holding a sign that in your case would say Testa. And it's like, oh, sir, mm-hmm. good. Okay, come on, get in the limo. I know we've got to get to your premiere, that Mr. Eisner is waiting. We don't make it to the premiere. You know, you have to sign your deal for your big movie contract. And right. then in kind of the rock and roll roller coaster type style, it was in fact a coaster. But with a couple of show scenes that were, I can remember one in particular where you stop for a moment by the famous fast food stand in LA, and right. there's this very heavy set gentleman in a white jumpsuit facing away from you, and you hear this fart sound, and the figure turns around and it's Elvis, but he's holding like a mustard container that's out of mustard, and it's, he squeezes oh. it. He's, oh, that's what's making the fart noise, not Elvis. And it's like, this gives you some idea of the high-class entertainment value of this attraction. No, nothing but a high concept here. All right. This was going great until Princess Diana got in her car crash where she was chased by paparazzi. Chased by paparazzi and uh, ended up uh, crashing into a support column under a tunnel in Paris, right? Yeah, and this is the other thing that uh, I guess I should have mentioned, that you are being pursued the entire time you were rolling through L.A. by paparazzi. Right. Yeah, okay. I can see how that would uh, put a damper on that That's sort of right. But they had done so much work on it, they weren't necessarily willing to abandon it, so they obviously dropped the coaster idea. But getting back to the cutting money from the budget idea, this is actually one of the nastier inside stories of Imagineering, that as Disney is making California Adventure and the budget is being cut, the folks who were trying to get this park built have their back against the wall. And they have virtually no money to do Superstar Limo. So what they do is they turn to four and five different themed entertainment decoration companies, the folks who actually build the sets and the figures and that sort of thing. We're trying to decide who we're going to hire to do a lot of work for Tokyo Disney Seas, which is the park, of course, that's being built after California Adventure. And so what we're doing is having a bake-off. We're giving each company that we're considering giving a lot of work to on Tokyo Disney Seas a room in Superstar Limo. And the idea is to see how much show you can deliver for the least amount of money. If you actually go and watch 
a YouTube video of Superstar Limo. Notice how the mm -hmm. art style changes from room to room to room. There's a reason. They were all done by different companies. Oh, that's so funny. By the way, as you were mentioning that, I thought to myself, this is a great idea for a television show. <laughs> like a reality TV series where you give everybody a certain budget, you give them an overarching theme, and everyone has to do one room a take on it. I think that's a fantastic idea. Okay, remember, Len said that. I didn't. <laughs> I think it's a great idea. When this happens with the next Disney theme park, I want no credit for this idea whatsoever. <laughs> All right, Jim, well, why don't we stop there? Because uh, you said you, you could do an entire show on this. Yes, we could. So let's do that entire show on it. We'll do it in an upcoming show. Okay, cool. Also, uh, in an upcoming show, you said for our mid-April show, which is apparently going to commemorate the sinking of... The Titanic? Why not? You've got a story around that? Yes, yes, I do. Can't wait for that, Jim. Okay. All right. All right, folks. You've been listening to the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. We are produced fabulously by Aaron Adams. Please go on to iTunes or Stitcher or find a, a hidden bar, knock on the door, give the secret password, and then on the wall, write a review of our show and tell us what you would like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show. <laughs>